Well, it's been a week, and we haven't heard back from any uh, misophones or electrophobes uh, about last week's episode, so I, I think we're in the clear. I think so, yeah. I, I think, yeah. So for those that don't know what Joe's talking about, last week Joe and I attempted to do an episode where we didn't talk about bikes, and I... Judging from the response we got, I don't think people were too interested because normally after we do an episode, I get people that either will ask me questions or make comments. And I just, we, I didn't get a single question or comment at all about that last episode. So, which, I, and that's not us whining, like, oh, you need to send us a nice email every time we do an episode. It, it's just, that's useful feedback in and of itself that, like, People are here to listen about about bikes. We I was worried it was going to be people's favorite episode, and they didn't want us to talk about bikes anymore. That that didn't happen. Yeah, that um, didn't happen. So, yeah, uh, lots of feedback on the award show, though. And again, another shout out to everybody for an amazing year. Um, you're super super happy to see the feedback there. Absolutely, and and again, so many people got nominated. It was it was kind of difficult in some of the categories to to actually pick people, but that was fun. I did get a lot of feedback about that one. Yeah, so, so it, it's good. Um, this week, our, our main topic is trainers. There's a couple other things we'll we'll dive into a little bit. Um, today will be another two-episode day. Um, trainers are such a big, hairy topic. Dan and I are going to go together. Dan and I are going to go over um, the kind of like why of trainers, and then I will do another episode that is the how of trainers, the practical sort of... Well, I would actually say I was going to talk about how to use a trainer yeah. for your training, and Joe was going to talk about more about like purchasing one or yeah or how to get set up and, and like the, the different compatibility it's yeah it's it's a little hairy you're gonna have to put in some work on the front end to get a setup that works but once you do it's a game changer like if your trainer died you'd buy another one to get here tomorrow like it would be a really really difficult thing for you or even for me like i use mine almost every day in the winter we don't think everybody needs to um but you know for a lot of folks i think for a lot of the parents too a trainer could be a game changer oh yeah i really hope the coaches use them so yeah, coaches. Keep up, so yeah, keep up with these dang kids. Yeah, so we'll, we'll dive into a couple of things. Of course, we're going to do another quiz for Dan. There's good feedback on that. Um, I do want to put out if anybody has any quiz questions they'd like me to ask Dan, I'll, I'll accept those as well. So, um, yeah, we'll dive right in. As always, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments, and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself. What do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? At the Norden Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can help reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. And as always, if you folks have you know seven or eight figures worth of investable wealth, um, these are the guys that you want in your corner. These are honest, ethical professionals who can help you at every step along the way. Uh, they're the allies that you need on your side. Investment advisor services offered through Townsquare Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townsquare is not affiliated with any other named entity. All right, Dan, you ready for another quiz? Oh my gosh, no, I'm not. I think I'm these so, are so much fun. People, I am so bad at We this. get good feedback on these. 
Um, we'll 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 start you out with a with a bit of a. I don't. This isn't a softball. This is a little tricky bit. Uh, what is the oldest bike manufacturer? The oldest bike manufacturer is obviously Schwinn. No, no, it, it is not. That is incorrect. That was a good guess. Okay. Kind of a left field guess, but no. Huffy? I don't... No, no. Um, Do they still make Huffies? I think so. Okay. I think, isn't Huffy like a Walmart brand or something? I don't know. Like when, when I was growing up, like Huffy was like the bike that kind of poor kids had and stuff. So. That was the, it was like Schwinn the rich kid bike or something? Schwinn's were pretty, yeah, Schwinn's were pretty reputable-ish, you know, I mean, they were just kind of, Schwinn was just kind of the household name. The household name. Now those are both kind of like department store bikes, huh? I don't know. I haven't seen Schwinn for a while. No, I think you, you see Schwinn's in like Kmart or Walmart, right? Really? Oh, that's I think sad. so. No, Schwinn's, you had to actually go to like a Schwinn shop. That's hard to say. Say that 10 times Schwinn, fast. Schwinn shop. Schwinn shop. Okay, Schwinn shop. Schwinn shop. Okay, it's not that hard. You're okay. just stupid. Um, yeah, but the oldest. So this is this is a tricky one. Uh, we've had one of these before in our garage. Um, it was a bike I was pretty fond of, and that oh, I had for a long time. Is it a time. Raleigh? No, we've never had a Raleigh in our garage. Okay. Um, primarily a road. Well, that's not true. We know them primarily as a road brand in the U.S., but they're not. Oh, uh, is it Bianchi? It is Bianchi. Bianchi. No way. Yeah, I love Bianchi. Founded in eighteen eighty-five. Oh man, Bianchi's are beautiful. Yeah, they're, they're well, they're getting less beautiful. Have you seen their like the new Ultra, like their aero bike? No, it's butt ugly. And isn't the color? Ask me. The, here's a question. Ask me the color. What's the color, the, Dan? Celeste. Celeste. It's funny because every time our Bianchi rep would come into the office, be like, "It's not Celeste. It's Celeste." I'm like, "Go back to Italy." You know what I mean? Okay. Um, yeah. No. 1885. With the caveat that they have not continuously produced bicycles, they've made a whole bunch of different random things during the different wartime periods and stuff. But um, yeah, 1885. That's kind of crazy to think about how old that is. That's really cool. All right, next one here. Name one professional cyclist from Africa. From Africa? Can it be South Africa? Yes, that's that's Africa, Dan. Do you know, do you know a South African cyclist? Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> How about this? This is interesting. Name another country in Africa that's not South Africa. Zimbabwe. Name another. <laughs> Ghana. Gosh, wow. He's struggling here. Um, yeah, one African professional cyclist. I, I can't. You can't that. name one? There, there are at least a few. Yeah, but I don't know them. So. Alan, Alan Hathenley. Never big, heard of Big him. name. In the cross country. He's, like he's on Cannondale right now. Races cross-country mountain bike. Okay, sorry, never heard of him. Biniam Gurmai, Burry Stander, Chris Froome, technically. Okay, I've heard of him. Yeah, he's born in Kenya. Was and he then really? he, Yeah, he changed his citizenship to the UK uh, in 2012 for the Olympics, I think. But yeah, he was born in Kenya. That's why he has that weird accent. Okay, well, I've heard of one of them. Does that count as okay. like yeah. eighth of a point? Yeah, da Daniel Teklaheimen or not? No. No. Come on. Okay, Nobody's that, heard of him. Plenty of people have heard of him, Dan. Okay. Okay, all right. Now, third question. This one's easier. What are the three grand tours? Okay. Um, Tour de France. Okay. All right. What are the other two? Oh, uh, the Giro. What's the full name? Oh, Giro d'Italia. Correct. What's the third? And the Vuelta. Correct. Yeah, that's actually it. Which Whoa. is which is what? What's the rest of that one? Vuelta de España. Close enough. Yeah. There wow. you go. Okay. Wow. Dan answered one question correctly. So Dan gets one point. Should we have like... No, I kind of... 
No, wait, never mind. It you, you, it took you like eight guesses to get to Bianchi, okay. and and you could barely name two countries in Africa, let alone a person from there. Um, yeah, we'll give you one out of three this week. I think I think you were in that. Um, yeah, if if but you, one of those had three parts to it, so that's three out of six. Three out of six. That sounds like a stretch to me. All right, we'll, we'll give you like an okay, oh, you did an okay job. Um, if anybody would like to uh, suggest questions uh, for next week's quiz, you know where to send them. Um, and like so before we get into trainers, you want to talk a little bit about some other miscellaneous training stuff. We did have one listener question we wanted to go over. Um, uh, we had somebody ask, is rugby good winter training for cycling? Okay, that's a really good question. And, and honestly, I don't know how rugby players train. So I don't know about rugby specifically, but in reality, like I can't think of very many sports that, that you would do during the winter that would hurt your cycling. I mean, unless it's an impact sport, we have a really high likelihood of getting an injury. Yeah. Yeah. If it's something, yeah, that's the big thing is if it's something that could, could cause you to get injured, I think it would be a problem, I guess, or maybe you probably get a lot of concussions in rugby. I don't know. But, but I mean, like, let's say like basketball, for instance, you know, like I think playing basketball over the winter would be fantastic or tennis, you know, where you get like a lot of lateral movement. Um, you know, it's, it's like I say, really few sports, unless they're like injury prone are going to, going to be bad. Yeah. Which is kind of what I figured, you know, like it's, it's, I mean, it's probably not ideal, uh, but if you're passionate about playing rugby, if that's something that you want to do during the winter, it's it's not going to hurt you cycling. There may be things you could do that would be better, um, but yeah, definitely better than doing nothing. I think, you know, especially, I mean, you'd, you'd probably do some amount of weight training for rugby, right? Yeah, and, you know, I, I think maybe with, with rugby, you know, you might want to bulk up a little more than you would if, if cycling's your primary sport, so... I think the key to winter training is whatever you do, um, you do need to include aerobic training with that, which does prevent excessive bulking and, and so forth. Um, but yeah, make sure, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things you can do this winter, but do definitely include some aerobic training with what you're doing, regular aerobic training. So fair enough. Well, with that said, it is time to get back to work. Um, you know, I think I think it's a good time, uh, you know, to kind of start your preparations for next year. Um, again, we're going to trainers here, but bear with us. We're going to go on a little bit of a journey first. Um, well, what- first of all, you know, I I took a bit of a forced break. You know, I, I got I've been sick for about a week and a half now, and I'm still not completely better. I still have a lingering cough, and and so I I did have a forced rest. Um, I like last season, I really didn't take a break at all. I just kept going and going and going. And I think, I think I paid for it a little bit later on in the season. Um, I have had a break this, this season, but my goodness, I am. You're so ready to I'm get back. I'm so ready to get back. I feel like garbage right now. That's good for you. you. I mean, you need to do that every once in a while. Like I would say like, you know, they would say like absence makes the heart grow fond or whatever is the cliche. It's true with relationships. It's true with a show. If you just watch the same show all the time, like, take a break for a couple of weeks, watch something else. It'll be more entertaining when you go back to it. You know, it's kind of the same thing with cycling. Like, you know, you can love it more than anything in the world, but taking a little bit of a break. But I do think that if, if your break is too long, it makes it more and more difficult to get back to, to get back to training. So I, I think that, that now's a good time to start getting back into training unless you're recovering from any injuries or anything like that, or, 
Uh, but I think for most people, it's it's probably about time to start getting back to work. And, and start thinking too about like what's you what's next year going to look like? What are we targeting? What do we want to do next year? You know, whether that's an event or some big ride you want to be able to do, um, like picking. Do you think now is a good time to pick a goal? Oh, absolutely. I think I think now is a great time to start thinking about what would something be that could really motivate you to work for throughout next season. You know, pick a goal. Uh, a lot of times, the scarier the better. Um, Within reason. Within reason, yeah. If, if last year was your first year cycling, let's probably not think about an Everesting attempt next year or maybe even point to point, you know, like like let's think about an I-Cup you want to target or something. And if you've been racing for 10 years or whatever, like let's think about point to point or Everesting next year or something. Or well, Let's not encourage too many kids to Everest. That's yeah, I was going to say, you, I, that's not kids. That's mostly mostly adults. You know, if, if you're feeling, if, you're, if, if life bores you and you need to challenge. You know, Adam that's, Heckman, maybe. Adam Heckman, go Everest next year, yeah. you know. Um, but and, and so with that in mind, um, I think you wanted to touch on running a little bit. Yeah, I want to just, I mean, now is is just the time to begin running like huge advocate of running is, is cross training. It's just, just a great ability to have in your back pocket throughout your life. Um, it won't hurt you as a cyclist. It, it could really only help you. Um, but the one thing about running is it does take time to get into. I mean, it probably takes six to eight weeks for your body to adapt to running. So if you try to get into running during the cycling season, it will hinder your cycling performance. But if you do it now, you know, by the time you start to get more into cycling, your body will be adapted to running and it will no longer be as, as detrimental, but it does take some time. And, and we say it takes some time. The first eight weeks are going to suck. Well, you know, m- maybe not eight, eight weeks as I'd say is on the long end, you know, but the, the, the first three to four weeks, it, are, are, it's going to be a little hard. Yeah. It's, it's not going to feel good. Like cycling, I think for most of us feels good. Like even a hard bike ride feels good. A hard run might not feel good for a minute. Yeah, but you really, like we've said over and over again, you really, really have to ease into it. No, no running really, um, I mean, it would have a, a similar benefit to our cardiovascular systems as cycling would, and, and perhaps even better sometimes because, you know, you could probably achieve even a higher VO2 max with, with through running than you might with cycling. Um, but it's it's very different on your musculature and on on your soft connective tissues. Those those things are going to take time to adapt to. So so really just ease into it. You know, um, you know, start by fast walking, hard hiking. Um, do run walks where you like where you like run for twenty seconds and then walk for a minute or something, and um, and then just gradually get that more and more of the time when you're actually running but like i say don't just don't just start running hard and you know you'll pay for it for a couple of weeks and and for those of you who want we do have an opportunity tomorrow with uh, amy larkin if you need to take the first if you're not sure where to start i think tomorrow would be a good good point right yeah and let's emphasize this group is designed for for pretty much anybody you don't have to already be an awesome runner to do this in fact it's really this is for people who don't run at all I will be there and you can see, you can see a Draper run and it's other than Jacob. He's a really good runner. The rest of us are really bad. So like, don't feel like, Oh, I'm going to look stupid or I don't run or I'm, I like have bad form or whatever. Like that's the point, you know, tomorrow's not like tomorrow's actually for people that hate running. 
Yeah, tomorrow like the hate the, the we hate Amy, running. Amy group. thinks she, she can change us into not hating running anymore. I'm so. I'm ready. I, I'm ready to be evangelized, man. Like tr- turn me into a runner just because of the practicality, if nothing else. Yeah, it's, like it's good. And 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 honestly, like running has just a lot of benefits. It actually will make your muscles more durable and and probably be able to handle some of the long, hard rigors of cycling even better. So. So it's a good thing. And, and and let me mention too that Fast Talk just did a really, really good episode on running that I think everyone should go listen to. I learned a lot and I, I it's just, yeah, great resource there. So just want to plug that. Fantastic. And then uh, jumping into trainers, um, like what, I, I guess if you are, if you're sitting in a seat where you're not sure what to do, you haven't started training before. Um, or if you've done some training in the past and you just don't know where to start this season, what are the first steps? How do we get into this? Okay, so I've had probably more questions about trainer workouts and what type of trainer workouts to do over the winter than any other question. I've had a lot of people asking about that. So we we wanted to do an episode dedicated to trainers. And, and at first we were going to have Joe talk about like purchasing a trainer, how to get trainers set up and everything. And then I would talk about how to use a trainer. But as we mentioned earlier, it just began to get too big that we're going to split that up into two episodes. So today we're mostly going to be talking about um, kind of how to use a trainer. But let me first point out that a lot of people think that the only way you can get fast on a bike is to actually ride a bike. And that's not true. Um, Specificity is only about 20% of the equation. Um, The rest is, you know, like our, our central fitness and so forth. There's so many different ways to build that and improve our cardiovascular systems that really, you know, a trainer is not a requirement. If you absolutely hate trainers or think they're evil and, and whatnot, there's, there's so many other ways to, that you can maintain your fitness, maintain and even improve your fitness over the winter. Trainers are not a requirement. I happen to like them. I happen to think they're a very valuable and useful tool. But if you can't afford one or just hate them, that's it's, okay. It's not a requirement. But like, and I'm going to defend trainers here. They're an excellent tool. And for I would say for the majority of people, having a trainer in your quiver of tools for training is is not not essential but like a huge plus you know it's especially where we live here in utah like i absolutely love mine in fact my train i had a trainer that i had for several years i put just hundreds of hours on it broke and i was just devastated and i had to hurry out and get a new one because i i had a hard time living without it over the winter so yeah and and for parents too like and i know that a lot of people who listen to this are not people who are actively racing you know like if you're an adult and you have a job that you have to go to and stuff with the kids and everything having a trainer that's set up where you can just jump on and turn on Zwift or whatever and get half an hour, 45 minutes of work in it at home, like is a game changer. Yeah, so like we're, we're going to approach it from a few different angles, not just trying to maximize your performance at Nike next year. I think trainers are good for a lot of people in a lot of situations, Absolutely. especially for our coaches. I really want our coaches to consider if they don't have one. In fact, I honestly think the trainer is more valuable for the adult riders than the youth riders. Yeah. Because the youth riders, they get out of school at like two thirty. They have time to go do a run after school or, or do something. Or even else. bundle up and ride occasionally. If yeah. You know, but like for, for most adults and in college age students that get super time crunched, it's, it's really hard to go out and run at five o'clock when it's already dark and it's starting to get icy and you know, it's, it, um, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of awesome reasons for having access to a trainer. So, so a few cool things about trainers. One of my favorite thing ab- about trainers is 
it's a really good introduction to, to be able to train with a power meter. Yeah, because not everybody has a power meter on their bike. And this is something I'll go into a little bit too. And if you're unfamiliar like with the trainer, it's essentially like um, a bike stand that has uh, a, either a roller on it or some kind of mechanism that's going to provide resistance for you to pedal against. And pretty much any trainer over 200-ish dollars is going to be able to measure power too. Which is great because like putting a power meter on your bike is expensive. You know, it really is. On, on the right setup, it can be as little as three or $400. But for most people, you end up spending close to a thousand has been my observation. Yeah. I would say power meters are around, around 500 bucks, but totally depends on your setup. Yeah. It depends on your setup. But the interesting thing is you can really get a, a trainer for about the same price as you can get a power meter for, for you know, so if you had to choose between one or the other, I'd get the trainer first and then get the power meter later. You know? I, I would actually agree with that. Um, you know, because like I said, like, you know, the trainer and, and I'll jump into this more later. We're going to be sparse on like the technical information with trainers here. Um, I do think it is worth pointing out now the difference between normal trainers and smart trainers. I, Cause there's a distinction. So if you're listening to this and you grew up in the eighties or nineties as a cyclist, you're probably familiar with like a fluid trainer or a magnetic trainer that you stuck your bike on and then put on a race in the background and just pedaled. Trainers have come a long way where we have trainers now that not only measure power, but that can automatically change the amount of resistance with uh, kind of in tandem with other software and stuff. So when we're talking about trainers, we will distinguish, you know, like a normal trainer that you might use to warm up for a race with, and then a trainer that's going to be paired with some other software that's going to have you do workouts and stuff or like a, a video game like Zwift. Um, so when we say smart trainer, that's what we're referring to. Yeah. And I think while we're on that subject, I'm sure you're going to dive more. Yeah. We'll have this. a much deeper um, dive. The new trainers too also have like the bigger flywheels, which totally improve. They, 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 it feels more like you're riding on an actual road rather than through like yeah. sand. You know? and, and like, if you haven't used a trainer since 2005 and you're like, oh, I hate trainers. I'll never use one. Try a new one. They're really, 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 really good. I, I used to be somebody that hated the trainer and the trainers have got, have, have become so, so impressive that like you should at least consider trying one before saying, I hate trainers, I will never use them. Yeah. So some other cool things that the trainers are for, like um, Zwift racing I've is super fun. We should explain Zwift for people who aren't familiar. I think most people are. But. Very, it's it's a cycling video game yeah. where where your character goes up and down hills, and when it gets to a steep hill, it gets harder to pedal. When you're going downhill, it gets easier. You can when meet up with people. You can meet you can it's ride social. with people in like Germany and all over the world. Yeah, it's, we're, yeah, it's it's um uh, like what fifteen bucks a month or something. Yeah, I think it's awesome. It's, I'm a huge fan of Zwift. Yeah, if you're gonna have, if you're gonna use a, a trainer over the winter, you absolutely have to use Zwift. It would be dumb not to yeah so but yeah they're then like you can do like virtual races which although i don't necessarily recommend doing that regularly it is actually a lot of fun lots of fun um, really motivational too yeah. like if you have that competitive itch that you need to scratch all the time you could go and race every but single you know what? you yeah you can race every single don't. day don't don't my my rule of thumb is one or one a month is plenty all right. And you can also, you know, also on Zwift, you can actually meet up with other people and ride virtually with them, which, which we'd actually like to start doing. That's something that'll be coming, coming through the tubes shortly. I'm going to figure out how to do some like group Zwift rides. Um, I remember when I used to train on a fluid trainer without um, having Zwift or anything, the longest you can do that is 
30 or 45 minutes if you have an iron will Zwift. I don't encourage, I don't think it's a good idea for people to count on doing a lot of endurance rides on Zwift, but like it's fun enough that you can do it for a couple hours. Yeah, I did three hours yesterday. Yeah, you know, and yeah. like I, I, most of mine are still about an hour, but like I'd probably be doing 20 minutes on a fluid trainer. So um, I think it's totally worth it, especially where there's only like three months you're really paying for. I don't keep my Zwift subscription throughout the year, um, but like if you lived somewhere rainy where there's a lot of days you're not gonna be riding outside, um, a trainer and or Zwift, and it's not just Zwift. I mean, there's other apps like Trainer Road if you're way more into like the metrics and stuff and you want to be a little more granular. Well, and that's more of a training plan type thing. Uh, yeah. Zwift, Zwift is more something to make it fun. Yeah, I think for most of the audience here, I think you will have a better time with Zwift. And it's not like Trainer Road is better. It's just, it's a very specific tool for people with really specific needs and it's not as it's more of a training plan type software yeah but you know an, another thing that, that trainers are just awesome at is they're really really good for doing really quality intervals um, we should explain what we mean like that so if you go and ride your bike outside for an hour <clears throat> let's say on the road right if i go on an hour-long road ride maybe up to half of that will be coasting waiting at red lights going easy to make a turn or something even on the mountain bike you know, it'll be really steep up and then it'll be downhill for a while and you can't really do an interval because the next mile of the trail is mostly downhill or it's crowded. Like, you know, I, I, I would say like two hours on the trail is about the same as an hour on Zwift, I think. It's, it's much more efficient in terms of like getting work in. Yeah, and that's more referring to like time in zone. Like you can really control the amount of time you spend in a particular zone when you're on a trainer so much better than you can on the road and especially so much better than when you're on a trail. On a trail, it's really hard to control. Um, the trainer gives you an opportunity to control how much you, time you spend in certain zones a lot easier. You just have a, it's just like a, a lot more controlled environment on a trainer. Um, and, and intervals, along that along the same line are so much easier to control in a trainer that you can you can actually do them with a lot more precision basically than you can outside you might not be able to do them with as much power but the the amount of time you're able to spend in in, in targeted zones can make for better quality intervals on a trainer than outside now usually in fact always i recommend doing them outside when the weather's good but it's, it's a great opportunity in the winter. Um, so uh, another thing I think trainers are really awesome for is, is testing. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about FTP testing and so forth. Uh, but, you know, traditionally, probably the gold standard F FTP test is an hour long test, which is just just in it drives insanity you, it's you should know what an ftp test is if, if not very briefly it's a set your ftp is theoretically the average amount of power that you can produce for one hour and it's the number that we use to calibrate all of your workouts yeah, it's kind you of the calibrate golden, your zones based on your ftp yeah. and it used to be that people would actually go and ride all out for an hour to see what their number would be and that is on top of being impractical it's just hellish it's horrible it's not a good time at all yeah, and and on, there there's some some different ramp tests and so forth that you can use on a trainer. That although they're not as good as the hour long FTP test, it's something that you can do frequently throughout a training block, and so you can continuously update your zones and and calibrate your zones. And as you make improvements, you can adjust your your zones accordingly. Um, 
Like I did one the other night and a ramp test is basically like it keeps getting harder every minute it adds 20 watts or something. And then the, the software figures out depending on where you fail, you basically go until you, you stop, right? It takes where you fail and it figures out what your FTP is based on that. And I did one the other night and it only took what? 15 I mean with the warm up with the warm up they only take like 15 minutes they're super short yeah mine was like 20 minutes with the warm up or something and I admit and I'm I'm the first to admit it's not a good indicator of what your actual FTP is no but I love it that it's very consistent and controlled and repeatable and you can do it like you can do it like right before you start to do a normal workout, like normal FTP or tests are like usually like either the hour long test or the 20 minute test, which you have to do in place of a workout. The ramp test I like because you can do it right before you can do it and then go do another workout after. So you can't, I couldn't, I finished my ramp test and I was smoked. I I I go get a snack and then I'm good to go. Are you serious? Yeah. Are you not, you're not going hard enough then Dan, come on. Like, but the one thing I will say, I I do use the, the, just the Zwift ramp test. And, and, but one thing I will say about that is you really need to multiply it by like 0.9 or 0.95 to actually get yeah, the number it gives the number you is a little inflated. So. And for most people, I don't think it would be. I think for most of Zwift's customer base, I think it's a good number. Mountain bikers and youth mountain bikers especially are biased towards shorter efforts. And so like over the course of an hour, your FTP as a mountain biker is probably going to suck. Like if I actually put you on a flat road and just said, go produce your maximum power for an hour, it wouldn't be that good. Like youth mountain bikers can push because it used to be we do 20 minute tests and then times that by 0.95. Now with the ramp tests that are even shorter, you should consider like if you get on Zwift and you do this ramp test, you pushed way above your weight and you can probably last way longer than most people that test was designed for do. So consider taking either 95 or 90% of that number for your workouts. And and I guess you should explain why that's a good idea and what you might run into if you take that number that it just gives you. Yeah. If, if I mean, if, if you're, if you're basing your workouts on too high of an FTP, um, you're, you're one, not going to be able to complete your workouts. Typically, that's usually a good sign that your FTP is set too high. And two, you could be training the wrong energy systems. You know, you could be trying to do sweet spot when you're actually doing VO two max type work. If you don't, so you essentially might end up wasting time by doing something or over, over training. Yeah. Yourself yeah or, it, you it's know, not so. a good idea. So again, for, for this particular audience, I think if you're not a Nike racer, if you're somebody like where your kid got into Nika and you're just doing it a little bit and this is like, you might be able to do the ramp test and just take the number. I actually disagree. I think everyone should almost everyone. That's a hot take. Yeah. I really, that's a spicy take. I really think everyone that their, their results from their Zwift ramp test should be reduced. I think. Um, Yeah. If nothing else, consider it like, and maybe take the number and try. And if that first workout is just catastrophically difficult, that five or 10% reduction makes a big difference. The way I look at it is the, is the FTP I get from the ramp test is my vanity FTP. And if people are bragging about their FTPs, that's the one you would brag about. But the one that you reduced by, by five or 10% is one that you, you would plug in to Zwift and, and it would base your workouts on that. So, but that's, you know, whole podcast right there on FTP testing. Yeah. So. And, and again, we're, we're going to milk a lot of these training yeah. topics for episodes. But, you later, know, so. the other, another thing trainers are really, really good for is improving your pedal stroke and, and doing like cadence drills. And, um, 
And that's something that's been added to Zwift, it seems like in the past year or two, that when you do the workouts that are loaded on there, it makes you do a specific cadence. You can select for. that, you know, and, and let me just say something about Zwift workouts. I really don't like them. I think they're too, shall we say colorful. They're all over the place in terms of energy systems. I, I'm, you know, my philosophy on training is, is are, are just kind of more simple interval workouts than those Zwift ones. But, you know, if you've got like a coach that does like training through training peaks, those workouts that are assigned in your training peaks calendar will show up when you open up Zwift. It yeah. shows up there and then you would go into custom workouts, select that workout and do that workout. And your coach, when, when they're prescribing training, could um, recommend or prescribe certain cadence zones or so forth. But so in defense of Zwift workouts, I think you're right. Like if you have a coach that's assigning workouts, Zwift workouts aren't for you. If you're a parent listening to this and you just want to become a better cyclist, I think that's what they're more designed for. Even then, and I get your point that they're kind of overcomplicated, but I think when you're inside, it's nice to have that much variety. And for a lot of folks, just getting on the trainer is a win. And then later down the road, if you really want to like tune your results and maximize your, your potential, maybe consider doing... Some dip, but yeah. I think those Zwift they're, workouts are fine. You know, they're they're overcomplicated, and I don't think they necessarily. How do you how do you know that that fits into whatever is appropriate for the period of season that you're in at that? Well, because they you know? have they have the plans. Have you seen those where you can be like, oh, I want to do this is a twelve week plan to do this or do this or like if you're going to do at an event here, do like it's not just picking an individual workout. You know, like but, you can like, yeah. but then you're picking a plan, which is kind of a totally different. Right, so, so it depends on yeah. who you are, but con you consider them. It's it's a cool feature. I use them occasionally. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I you know this this is kind of a controversial subject I'm about to approach uh, on. Is that a word? Approach. Approach is not a word. <laughs> um, not at all. Approach on. Okay. That's not it either. Like you you like you could say I'm going to broach a sensitive broach broach or breach. Is that like a piece of jewelry? I think I think yours. I think imbroach is wrong though. I'm trying to think of what you're trying to say. I'm like okay. that might be. Anyhow, it. I'm about to touch on a controversial subject, and that's erg mode. So let me let me explain really quick because this is you this is something that not everyone will understand. Okay. Erg mode is essentially um, it's it's your trainer will force you to produce a certain amount of power. So um, like let's say you're doing a workout in Zwift, like you need to be producing 300 watts, right? When you're pedaling, it will figure out what your cadence is and it'll be like we're going to have this much resistance to get you to 300 watts. And then let's say all of a sudden you speed up and you start pedaling faster. The trainer is going to reduce the resistance so that your power stays at 300 watts, right? And the beauty of this is that you could get on Zwift without even looking at the screen and do a very precise workout just by pedaling. And it will force you to produce the correct amount of power. And you will feel the trainer suddenly get a lot harder to pedal or a lot easier. And you can also like, if you want to like ride on Zwift and, and there's all these hills and stuff, like when you go into Zwift as the video game, if you just were to free ride around, there's like, you get a, when you draft behind somebody, it gets easier. When you go up a hill, it gets harder. When you go down a hill, it gets easier. You can just set it to be like, I just want to do 300 Watts and then I'll do 300 Watts, you know, and the trainer will ignore all of the hills and stuff and just force you. So when we talk about erg mode, think of that as the trainer forcing you to do a certain amount of power and you can program that power, you know, the changes in that power there. Yeah. And there's some coaches that absolutely will die on the hill telling you to avoid erg mode at all costs. And, and I, I, I get that because, but, and, and usually the argument is they, they want the trainer to replicate as much as possible riding outside and erg mode 
it, you know, it teaches, it doesn't teach you to be able to control your own power. Which and is I, a fair argument. I totally I get, get that. where they're coming from. I, I personally actually do like erg, erg mode in some cases. Um, a lot of times I like it because, you know, when you're on the trainer, sometimes if you're, if you're focusing too much on being on the trainer and you don't have enough distractions, it gets really boring and difficult. Um, you know, when I use the trainer, I like to have a lot of distractions because it makes it more, it lowers your, your, your RPE. It makes it a little easier and more. You, you can know. spend more time on it. Yeah. And so I like having erg mode on when I have a lot of distractions because like, like for instance, if you're just watching a movie and you're training, you'll look down and you'll like just be getting into the movie and you'll be doing like 50 Watts, which is a pointless workout, you know? Right. And, 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 it's, it's, and if you have the erg mode on while you're watching a movie, it kind of just forces you to stay at, your prescribed wattage, you know, it'll keep you at 150 watts so you can turn off your brain, watch the movie and it'll maintain a beneficial workout for you. And for like the lizard brain over eager Nike racer, it's going to prevent her from going too hard too. Like if you're in the middle of an interval and you start to pedal harder because you feel good, it's gonna be like, no, you're going to produce 300 watts or 250 watts. We're going to stop you. We're, we're going to like the resistance is going to get easier. So it basically like it makes your workouts perfectly efficient is yeah. essentially what it does. I personally use erg mode all the time. I, I do too. I love it, but, and I, but I do totally understand the criticisms for it. But I think for yeah. our audience, it's a good thing. I think, I think, think good thing. there's certain groups of cyclists where I would be like, yeah, like that's not good. Like it's going to, you need to have the discipline to be able to be like, okay, I'm going to go hard now and have not have a machine making that decision. I think for Nike racers, it's good to have the machine making the decision because your decisions will be dumb <laughs> or at least like Nike Joe's were. I, I wish I'd had erg mode back then. Yeah. One, one thing about my philosophy on trainers is I really like to use the trainer for things that I can't do outside. I almost, I really think the trainer for me in a lot of ways is cross training. It should complement outdoor riding. Yeah. I don't think, I don't really, if I, I don't really want to make it imitate riding outdoors. I'd like to rather do things that I just can't do outside, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so given that, like, what are, what do you avoid or what are things like you don't focus on? Okay. So, so we're going to talk about some things that I, you should use the trainer for, but first let me just get a few things out of the way. The, the sad thing about the trainer is it is really, really, really good at some things I want you to avoid using it for. Oh, this is interesting. Like what? Yeah. So the first of all, you know, well, and, and we're, we're right now we're talking about winter training, right? So the trainer is really awesome for like VO two max type intervals. It's, uh, it's awesome yes. for like 30 by thirties. It's really good for like three minute intervals because it's sometimes hard to find a good place to do a really steady three minute effort. Yeah. And the, or like an the, all out sprint, like out on, out on the trail or out on the road it's kind of tricky to find a safe place to really truly go all out. Yeah. The trainer is awesome. Awesome. Awesome for these things. But really right now during the winter, I really don't see a reason to do these during your winter training until you're starting to get maybe, I mean, maybe for those that are going to race Vail Lake or something, you know, maybe in February or something, you might start introducing a little bit of this. Um, but yeah, you in defense, of hard riding on trainers. If the if the choice is I will not ride the trainer and will not train or do anything aerobic and I will do a hard workout on Zwift that's VO2 max, I'd still do it. Dan's point I think is more that like 
now is not the time for intensity. But for me, like there were points when I was like out of high school and I was really discouraged with my first couple of winters. It was hard to motivate myself to get on the trainer. And for me, it was fun to do a Zwift race that's really hard or a really hard group ride or go try to get a sprint jersey or a climb jersey, like, you know, because it does all those things. If you need that, that's fine. It's just not ideal. Is, is that fair or am I being... I, I would say you could do it occasionally, but only for fun. It's really not going to benefit you that much. But like if the, if, it's the op, if the choice is between you not sp- spinning or training and doing that, that's probably better, right? Well, Ooh, if, if you lo- Ooh, okay, let's see. Let's. I'm, I, I'm I would. I would really try to avoid it, unless it's just for fun. You know. I mean. I guess. Yeah. Maybe it's better than nothing. But. Um, but really, those things you're not going to be able to unless you really put a lot of effort into maintaining them. You're probably just going to lose that type of fitness anyway. And I think if you do try to maintain that type of fitness, it's going to cause problems later in the season. This is true. This is true. And um, I used to do this every single night. That's not yeah. good. Yeah. Like, I really wish someone wants me to peek them for Cactus Hugger sometime because that would be so awesome to do on the trainer. You could do it so well on the trainer. Yeah. Um, but I really think those that, that focus on these type of efforts during the winter, they'll pay for it late, later during the season. That is true. If you do like to do hard things, I've got something that will fit that bill. That will fit that bill. So um, we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah. You know, and like, I'm not saying that if you occasionally do some VO2 max work or some sprints or, or a Zwift race, it's not going to, it's not bad to it's do it. It just, it just shouldn't be your focus. It can't be your everyday. And yeah. like, I agree. Like when I was doing that as my everyday, I would do, and like, I will give, like, I'll give my really embarrassing examples in the spirit of being vulnerable. I remember nights where like, I would, it would be February. It's been months since I've done long rides. I'm eating too much and everything. And I would go onto Zwift and like, I would come around a corner and be like sprint coming up. Here's the day's times. I'm like, Oh, I know I can get the green sprint jersey. And I would do this cataclysmic effort to get the sprint and then end my ride 15 minutes in. Yeah. Don't do that. That's not a good idea. So, so yeah, I, I would avoid those. Um, I guess we kind of touched on this earlier. I'm not a big fan of most of the, the pre-made Zwift workouts. I think they're too, they're just all over the map. Um, they're, they're unfocused. They're yeah. undisciplined. They're they're flashy. They're and not the worst thing in the world, but probably not. You ideal. would really just need to understand the purpose and why you would choose different workouts and so forth. Um, so, the the next thing I would avoid, and I'm guilty of this one. Kind of, I'm kind of the opposite of Joe in a lot of things, but um, you really should avoid like four hour excessive rides on on a trainer there are people that glorify this who like brag about it and stuff i don't think it's good i've done a couple of centuries on zwift before and and it was actually kind of fun and i didn't mind it too bad but spending i I think three hours would probably be the maximum i would ever spend on a trainer unless i spent an hour and a half on the trainer the other night and it felt like an eternity even with zwift i don't like if if you are going to do longer rides, um, they need to be broken up. Um, in a lot of times, people will do like two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. That's that's fantastic, you know. But um, I, I, if you're hankering for a four hour day on the bike, wait for the weekend and drive down to St. George. Yeah, don't. But I, I think I, I, I think you could build yourself up to three hours. If you got go beyond that, you're really kind of um, starting to look at like overuse injuries, and there yeah. can be some problems. So. Um, and, and I would build yourself up to three hours at most, but there's other things you can do. And the last thing I would say to avoid is 
try to not make the trainer be the only exercise you do over the winter. Even for adults, you really should include strength training and at least once a week getting out and doing something longer outside. Um, let me let me just reiterate too, for youth cyclists, I really think that you should only use the trainer about twice a week. And the other days, you should try to find other things to do. Um, for time crunched athletes and, and adults that work nine to five or whatever, you know. Use the trainer, use as, the much trainer as, as much to. as you need. Like again, Dan and I are, are using it basically every day. Yeah. It's, it, we're using it way more days than we're not. Yeah, um, but we still are going to include weight training and do something. You know, we, Joe and I, we always go on long hikes on the weekends and so forth. But yeah, um, so well, I, I, so I'm curious. Like, did I get to the actual question people keep asking? Like, um, what are the types of workouts you should be doing when you're on the trainer? Okay, so I have three three buckets of workouts that I like to do. Three types of workouts that I. I strongly recommend on the trainer. And this is something I think there might be a lot of coaches that would maybe disagree. So this is just my bias. So take it for what it's worth. But first, um, before you start to use the trainer for workouts, um, you've got to reassess your FTP. Do not use the FTP from June. Like you, it yeah. changes. So you guys all have all taken a two week break and you would be shocked how much your FTP plummets even after just a two week break. Let me just paint a picture. There's somebody listening to this who's going to ignore this and they're going to get on their trainer and they're going to plug in their FTP from a month ago at best, probably more, and it's going to be way too high. And their or, first workout of the winter is they're not going to be able to finish it and they're going to get discouraged. Or they're going to plug in what they wish their FTP was. They're going to plug in their vanity number. It's just, it's a bad idea. And you know what? That's, I've done that. Oh, yeah. I've done that. Never. And I want to set like a taboo. Never brag about your FTP or ask someone what theirs is because it's the stupidest question in the world. It's, it's like your social security number. You don't really want to share. You that do not people. don't share it. And it's like, and I'm not just, it's, it's just, it's a bad cultural thing to do. Cause like my FTP, like my, my FTP is relatively high, but I also weigh like a lot, like a lot more than, but like I, I probably push a similar amount of power to like a lot of guys at the top end of varsity. I'd be in last place in varsity right now. You know, like if you, there are tiny little riders who are on the world tour who don't produce power that looks crazy, but they weigh 95 pounds sopping wet. Like do not brag about your FTP. Everyone's power meter is different. I'd like to throw that out too. Different power meter, power meters read different uh, wattages. Your trainer will actually, that's something else. If you have a power meter and you want to use power off your trainer, do a different FTP test because the numbers will be different. Um, like you, like Zwift will let you choose if you want to take your power from your power meter or the trainer, pick one and stick with it because they'll be different. But the point is FTP is relative. Don't brag about it. The number itself doesn't mean anything. It's just a reference point. Okay. Mine's 350, by the way. Just yeah. kidding. It's not. I was looking at me like, you're lying. I'm going to call <laughs> you out for that. That's not true at all. Okay. 350 would be, be a awesome. monster. Okay. But yeah, so you do need to reassess your FTP before you start a winter training program. Um, it's going to be lower than it was at its best, which is fine. That's, that's, that's fine. why we're doing this. Um, and then remember, times it by like 0.95 or find a multiplier that makes it so you can complete your workouts. So, okay. So my three types of workouts, the first... Um, the first are, are how I do, I, I just call them like the controlled zone two rides. Now, now for those, um, for those that are like polarized purists, there's, 
I, I'm really, I'm, I believe in the polarized model. We're going to do a whole episode on polarized training, but I'm more of a pyramidal trainer. What's really quickly, what's the very brief like so difference? Polarized training is where you do 80% of your training below your LT1 or your ventilatory point one. Um, what does that mean? So, so it, it's basically the point at which you are, you're basically burning fat below that point. Okay. Rather than carbs. So 80% of your rides it's, are low or intensity. Super, super low intensity. And 20% of them, or sometimes like two a week are, are, are above LT2 or VT2, which is, you know, they, they're, they start to be anaerobic at that point. So, so basically your rides are either really easy or really hard. But the, the thing with your easy rides is there's really like really not a lot of point in doing an hour and a half easy ride unless it's for recovery or maintenance. You know, if you're just riding an easy zone two for an hour and a half, you're going to kind of max out on the benefits of that pretty quick. And, and it's just going to kind of be maintenance at that point. And really the goal during the winter is to get better to become a better athlete, you know? So, so how I like to handle the, the zone two rides during, during the winter is I kind of treat them like a, like a set of stairs, you know, where initially you'll bump up the intensity and then once you've bumped up the intensity a little bit, you'll drag out the duration for longer and longer and longer. And then you get to a point where you bump up the intensity a little bit more. And then you'll drag out the, the duration longer and longer and longer. So kind of how, how you do that is, so you would start out doing, you know, after you reassess your FTP, you do a zone two ride for, let's say, an hour. Well, let's say an hour and a half. Okay. We'll, we'll assume you're ambitious. Okay. And then after maybe a week or two, you will bump that up to an hour and, you know, an, an hour and three quarters, and then you'd bump it up to two hours. And then once that starts to get easy and you start feeling really comfortable doing that and your heart rate stays steady the whole time, you would bump up the intensity by maybe like two to 5% and you would do it for an hour and a half and then you would bump that up to an hour and three quarters and then you'd bump it up to two hours. And then once you're really comfortable with that, you'd bump up the intensity again by, you know, two to 5%. And, you know, you keep kind of repeating that. And, you know, that's, that's like my favorite trainer workout. And I, I always do these in erg mode. Um, I'm, you know, I'm watching YouTube videos while I do it. You know, I, it, that's kind of why the erg mode is is a good thing, right? Like that's why that's this is where it makes sense. Mm -hmm. But this is important because it, it actually makes your zone two work progressive. So you're not just doing you know 150 watts for an hour and a half all winter long. I mean that really isn't going to. I did this the other night. I actually did. I set. I was like, I'm going to do an hour and a half long ride because like I've I'm guilty of doing like trainer sessions that are way too short. So I just set one wattage on erg mode and did it for an hour and a half. It was soul crushing and it wasn't even that hard. It was just so boring. I think it is good to have just that little bit of variability. Like you said, that progression really means something, you know, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it, it totally is. Yeah. But I mean, this, this progression we're talking over, like, 
you know, like several weeks and then it, well, that's it, what I'm saying. Like, it progresses I, over the entire season. Yeah. Like I wouldn't uh, want to do that even next week, you know, getting through the workout itself is one thing, but I'm just like, if you, you can't just plug in that one zone two number and do it for weeks at a time. Like you'd be like, okay, next time I'm going to do this, but we'll bump the time down or whatever. Like, um, yeah, you can, I mean, if you, if you just pick one number and stick with it all the time, that's going to suck. Yeah. I, I personally have found just amazing results from just doing this kind of stair step method. Um, because you're getting better and even though you're doing more and more wattage as the season goes on, you don't really notice it because you're, you're just, <coughs> you're just advancing as you go. So, um, so that's how I do the, the zone two rides. And if anyone needs me to explain that again, I'd be happy to, we'll um, make it an episode later. <laughs> um, so, and, and I kind of consider those like, they're not. They're easy enough that I can like watch a movie while I do them or, or watch YouTube or something distracting. I like to be distracted while I do those. Um, and for those that really only have like two days a week to dedicate to the trainer, I would probably really focus on, on sweet spot training. Um, sweet spot training. We're going to do, obviously we're going to talk about that a lot. Um, I, I do believe in polarized training but I think sweet spot training is a fantastic way to, to train over the winter time. And, and basically what sweet spot is, is, you know, we've, we've talked about your FTP, which, which people consider your threshold. Once you're above your threshold, the amount of time you can spend above that intensity gets really, really short. It drops exponentially. It, kind yeah. Of. Yeah. Sweet spot really is kind of more of a more, accurate threshold really because basically sweet spot is about roughly we'll just say about 90% of your threshold of your FTP so you're riding just below your FTP and and a lot of people consider it just almost a more accurate steady state because uh, you know most people overestimate their FTP um, like I said, turn it into a vanity number. You yeah. know, they're like, oh, my FTP is 320 watts or whatever. And I'm like, you know, in reality, your sweet spot is, I would make more like the practical FTP, the one yeah. you should really I've actually to. called it your FFTP, your functional, functional threshold power. Well, wow, that is the nerdiest, funny. I laughed at that and then hated myself for <laughs> laughing because I'm like, is this really the kind of person I am that I think that's funny? <laughs> I, that's so awesome. Okay. So good um, thing. None of us are actively dating anymore. <laughs> uh, and so training at this spot, it's really, it's, it, this spot is your, basically your maximum aerobic capacity before you start to tap into anaerobic stores. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So you're really getting your absolute maximum anaerobic adaptations in the least amount of time possible. And that's kind of why they call it the sweet spot. It's really a cool place to train. And those that are, that are true polarized enthusiasts think that this is a bad place. To, that's so not true. It's a very super, super beneficial place to train. Cause when you say polarized purist, that's somebody who either thinks you need to be doing a hundred Watts for six hours or catastrophic sprint efforts would be like, the, kind, I mean, that's an exaggeration, yeah. but like, Kind of, and, 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 you know, a lot of those, they, they tell you to kind of avoid the, the middle zone. And Call it, is, is that with junk miles when people say that? Yeah, and, and it's so not true. Um, and that's why I'm a big advocate of pyramidal training. And this is a whole nother podcast, which we're going to, we're going to discuss this, but 
there are huge, huge, huge benefits for 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 training at sweet spot, but it's very difficult to do outside and it's very difficult to do on a mountain bike ride because it's a, a pretty tiny band of power that you're trying to hit when you're training. So I think it's just an awesome, awesome time to benefit from this type of training is during the winter when you're on a trainer and you can kind of dial that, dial that in and control that intensity. Um, yeah, because because mountain biking is is a polarized activity for the most part, right? Yeah, when you look at your power number from a mountain bike ride, you're spending a lot of time below zone two and a lot of times above zone six. It's it's you're either really really on or really even if you're trying to keep it steady, it's it's difficult to do when you're actually on a mountain bike on a trail. Um, but on a trainer, you're able to control it and and ride in certain zones that you normally don't get to ride in outside. And and sweet spot is one of these. Um, so sweet spot. It's it's kind of hard to describe, but it's it's below your threshold, but it's very sustainable. In theory, you could ride at sweet spot for two hours. I'm I'm mm. that's not possible. Mm. But, okay, yeah, I was gonna yeah, say that's mm, not possible. Know. That sounds um, hard. Yeah, that would really really suck. But it's it's uncomfortable but manageable. And I always describe it as, you know, like that feeling like you're riding with a buddy that's going a little bit faster than you'd want to go. And you're kind of like, okay, I can do I this. I can do this. I don't know how long. But kind of a deal, yeah, right? It's just, it's just a little bit uncomfortable, but very manageable. And again, we say it's, it's roughly about 90% of, of your FTP. So um, the thing with, with sweet spot training, and I, I don't know how to emphasize this enough, it's more important that you increase the duration of time you spend at this rather than bumping up the intensity. When I was talking about the zone two rides, I was talking about kind of bumping up the intensity and then you drag out the duration. These you really just want to progress by increasing the duration, the amount of time you spend at sweet spot during a workout. So I, I have to say, this is, I, I wish high school Joe could have heard this because in my mind, like psychologically, like I would rather suffer harder for less time like it's always been harder for me to push the time i think there are a lot of people who are like oh well you know a, a one hour hard ride is the same thing as a two hour easy ride and that's not that's not the case right no and and in fact when you're dealing with sweet spot i would rather you underestimate the amount of power you're supposed to produce during sweet spot rides than than overdo it and do shorter workouts like does that make sense? So do you almost need like a functional, functional, functional threshold power? That's like <laughs> your recalibrated sweet spot. Yeah. Your functional, functional, functional threshold. Your FFFTP. <laughs> Can that be the sticker next year? We have one that says TBY and one that says FFFTP. <laughs> I love that. That's funny. Yeah. So really your goal with sweet spot is to increase the amount of time during a session that you're spending at this this and that and you do that by you know by breaking it up into intervals and the most common intervals for sweet spot are going to be like two by 20s and then you would get to a point where you could do a three by 20 and i think it would be awesome if people could get up to four by 20s there you go joe there's, uh, a challenge. Uh, uh, there's there's a joke yeah. too did you pick up on the joke what 420 Oh, I did not even think about. Oh, that. I thought that's where you're going no no i was just thinking i was giving no that's not where i was going at all oh 
Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm too old for even knowing what that means. Okay. Well, okay. Um, but you can also do it in like, you know, you could do six by 10 minute efforts. You could do, you know, and then bump that up to seven by 10 and eight by 10. Or you could even go to therapy. <laughs> so yeah, for sweet spot to be beneficial, you need to, your, your goal is to expend, extend the amount of time you spend at that zone rather than bumping it up and, and, and doing it at higher intensity. So all right, yeah. So, so we've got the the zone two rides, the sweet spot rides, and the third one I like to do on the trainer is just good old fashioned fun endurance rides. And these I just do on Zwift. I don't use erg mode on these. I just kind of have an idea of how hard about I want it to feel, and I, I just kind of pick like I'll I'll try to pick a long course on Zwift, and and I just try to keep it under a certain amount of wattage and just kind of try to go as long as I can. Um, and these are just kind of fun. You know, they're just, like I say, two, two, three hours. The thing I need to point out is two hours on, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but a two hour endurance ride when you're on a trainer is, is like a three or so hour probably a three hour one on the road at least a three on the road and maybe and like a four hour on, the, on the mountain I mean with the caveat that like there obviously you're not like jumping over rocks and stuff using your upper body when you're on Zwift but like I did this hour and a half long ride and I, and I was shocked I remember like this felt like more than because my standard road ride my after work standard road ride is about an hour and a half and I was way more tired after this but you know if you look at your power profile in that hour and a half road ride you're going to oh, yeah. see tons of descending a lot of times where you're coasting a lot of times in lights. zone one yeah you know stop signs yeah so your time in zone on a trainer is very very efficient yeah and that's what i said there you go you're just repackaging my advice there um but yeah so with with all of that in mind like um you know uh like what would be like a schedule for somebody like a like a mock schedule if we're gonna put that for somebody so how how to incorporate like for the youth cyclist you know, again, you know, with training in the winter, my, my number one thing is try to do something every day to make yourself be a better athlete, you know, and, um, you know, and, and say you're involved with like running or, or schema or something that's, we'll say that's like a Tuesday and Thursday. I would try to include your trainer rides on like maybe a Monday and Wednesday, which are the same days you would do your weight training. So you would lump in your trainer rides with your weight training. Um, I would probably do... Uh, lean more towards the sweet spot ride so you can kind of keep those around an hour um, or you could do you know you could do a trainer rides on Fridays um, another thing that you could do too if you know if you're skiing on Saturday you know come home from skiing and and jump on the trainer for an hour or two you know so it's definitely something you can do in conjunction with other types of workouts um, it doesn't have to be exclusive like I used to think that like Every, it had to be exclusive. Like the ideal for cycling would always be just cycling. But I've kind of come to realize that if you really care about cycling and you want to do it long term and you want to do it well, it can't really be the only thing that you do. I always thought that cross trainings for wimps who don't have the, you know, the like fortitude to stick with the one thing all the time. But that's really not the case. It's just better. It makes sense. And if you look at professional cyclists, you know, like go look at Nino. He skis all winter. You know, like he, I'm nor, like Nordic skiing and touring and stuff like that. 
a lot of them are runners. You know, like it was uh, was it was it Tom Pidcock or Remco Evenepoel last year went and did this ridiculous marathon time like out of nowhere they went and ran a marathon or a which 5K. we don't recommend because no, of but like the point is that connective like, tissue. Yeah, pr- pr- well, you said, Tom, wait, your connective tissues. <laughs> Yeah, he did fine. Um, but yeah, like uh, lots of cyclists do lots of things. Please don't think that this is like, uh, you know, we always say this is not a marginal game. This is a but macro yeah, game. But I'm just saying if you th- too, that, you know, if you think you're too busy to jump on the trainer, don't think just because you're lifting weights on Wednesday doesn't mean you have time to, you don't have time to jump on the trainer for an hour or two. Because again, like an hour long bike ride might be like, it's only an hour, but an hour on the trainer is, is a It's big something. Yeah, yeah. Like 45. In, in fact, if you're time crunched 30 minutes on the trainer could make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, shoot for more, right? Like when I was doing 30 minutes a night on the trainer consistently, like my fitness didn't get better over the winter, but it saved me. Oh, absolutely. So if you graduated yeah, you can, this year and you've got, you know, like, um, you know, you've got school coming up and you're working and stuff like 30 minutes. And, and like we always say, have your bike on the trainer computer in front of it, ready to go so that like it takes you under five minutes to go from I'm going to spin to I am spinning. If it takes an hour to set up every time, it's that's yeah, going to be that's less likely to happen. Okay. So, um, let me just, I just want to go over just a few tips and these are just kind of my tips to make the, the trainer a little bit more pleasant, I would say. Um, so the, yeah, you just mentioned the first one is a dedicated setup. I can't overemphasize that. Like I have my trainer so ready that I just basically have to put on a pair of bib shorts and grab a water bottle and I'm, I'm good to go. Um, that that's huge to just have a dedicated setup. That's just cause if you know, if it's not, it's just a barrier to doing it and it makes it harder and you kind of drag your feet a little bit more. So, I mean, and, and we should say you have the benefit of having kind of a spare bike that we're using for that. Um, my primary bike and I'm, I have the opposite. So as a tip here, like, uh, my road bike is my go-to bike in the winter, right? I keep my trainer axle in my road bike so that if I want to go ride it outside, I ride it outside, but then it's it's sitting right there next to the trainer. I can clip it in and I can go. Um, your bike doesn't have to live on the trainer, and I understand for a lot of you, you only have the one bike, um, but try to figure out a way that like getting ready to spin takes less than five minutes would be my benchmark. Yeah. So another one is adequate cooling. Um You'd be shocked how fast you get hot on the trainer and yeah. how much you sweat. You can't have a fan that's too big, basically. Yeah. I mean, we've got like, what, four little fans kicking around in our little spinning area downstairs? Yeah. And it makes a huge... In fact, I mean, this would be a totally different subject. Like, <clears throat> a really, really good way to get heat acclimated for, you know, how a lot of people get heat acclimated for really hot races, like if you're going to be racing in South Africa, is they'll use a trainer without fans. Mm-hmm. For heat, I'm not recommending it. Don't, Don't do, do that. that. But we're you, trying to illustrate a point here. Yeah. If anybody goes out and does this, they're in trouble because it's stupid and yeah. maybe even dangerous. Um, but you'll sweat a lot on the trainer. A lot of people even set up the trainer in the garage that's not uh, heated or something like that to give you yourself like a colder environment to do it in. Because you, I used to do rollers uh, in the backyard at the old house and stuff because it was just it was more palatable, you know. Uh, but yeah, have a fan. Have a fan for sure. Yeah. So, um, I've obviously like the music you listen to is huge. I mean, if you're doing hard type efforts, you want more upbeat music. Um, that's Steely Dan's not going to cut it on yeah. those hard days, you know, find a good playlist. But so like when I'm doing like my endurance rides on Zwift, I, I love to just like put on a movie and lock it into erg mode and watch the movie and, 
And, you know, I mean, it's like so many people just sit around and watch a movie anyway. Or just Netflix, for yeah. those of you who are younger than Dan. And, which is or even a lot just of YouTube or something. It, it really, you know, it's just another distraction. I, I, I do this in combination with Zwift, you know. It's just kind of sometimes the more distractions, the better. If you're really young, scroll through TikTok while you do it. I don't know. Just like you don't need. I, know, you I, know. I figure so many people just sit on the couch and waste time on their phone. You know, why don't you just hop on the trainer and waste time on your phone? Yeah, you know, there you yeah. go. But um, my personal favorite tip, and this is like the pro tip of all pro tips, is music videos. You know, because like music is so motivational when you're like trying to do like a hard interval. The, the song that's playing has everything to do with how well you can execute execute that interval. Oh, yeah. And on the flip side, if it's an easy endurance day, don't be listening to dubstep because then you'll go too hard. Yeah. It's a it kind of it really is amazing. It's amazing the, the power music. that music has, you know, in your RPE and how well you execute your intervals. But it's it's also amazing how well like a movie or something can distract you while you're doing like a longer, more boring workout on Swift. And that is the magic of music videos is you get the distraction that you would from like watching a movie, but you get the music which pumps you up. And so like if I'm doing sweet spot efforts, that's like perfect for music videos. You just pick weird music videos though, where it'll be like 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 the Smiths or something, or some like or, weird. Oh, like Pet Shop Boys videos. Pet Shop Boys I love music videos. Pet Shop Boys music videos. Dan's dance point to point year finish this year was brought to you by Pet Shop Boys music videos. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, like uh, I'll bear all of this in mind, and like we're we want questions and stuff. Like we want to figure out. Like I said, the trainer's not a necessity, but it's a really useful tool. I, I think there are very few dedicated professional good or even great amateur writers who don't use a trainer well, let to me some extent put something this way like i actually get in better shape over the winter than i do once i start writing outside fair yeah it's it's you don't it's not a, it's not a must but it is something you should consider and we're here to make it um work well for you so let us ask questions and then like i said i am about to do i'm going to record here in just a second an episode where I will do a deep dive into like the mechanics of a trainer and like how to actually obtain one that's going to work and different considerations when you buy one. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, it's, it's like I said, it's kind of hairy, but stick with us. Um, and like I said, if you have any questions, um, you know where to send them. Anything else you want to go over, Dan? Are we missing anything? You know what? Just winter's an opportunity. Let's go out and get fitness while everyone else is getting slower. There you go. Let's let's repeat. Let's have lots of Maybird kids on uh, state champs podiums in 2023. This year, you guys killed it. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, killing it over the winter is a big part of that. So, as always, if you have questions, you folks know where to send them. And uh, you will hear from uh, me again without Dan shortly.